Hello and welcome to episode number 69 of Virtual Team Dynamics, the All Fire podcast. My name is Francis Norman. I'm the founder and principal consultant here at All Fire. At All Fire, we specialise in helping you get the most from your virtual teams through understanding how your team members communicate and interact. On the podcast today, we're going to be talking about selecting personnel for expat roles and uh, the importance of those people and picking the right people when you when you need to deploy expats. As with all of our podcasts, there's an accompanying article on the Allfire website, so please do check it out for additional information. And while you're there, sign up for our regular newsletter and find out a bit more about how we may be able to help you with your business. So expats have been a part of major projects and minor projects for pretty well as long as projects have been undertaken internationally. They're also a large part of how modern, many modern businesses conduct normal business, developing people by sending them to work in other locations um, and using those deployments to both build the careers of the people that are sent and also to share knowledge between different offices. Now this particular podcast we're going to be focusing more on the project side of things so we're going to be thinking more about situations where you need to send someone to another location for a normally a finite period of time to uh, to play a part in a particular project that's ongoing. Uh, those people will go there, they'll do whatever the scope and the work is that's needed of them and then as and when their work is finished They'll either return home or they'll move on to another project somewhere else around the world. Now, as you can imagine, these deployments are expensive. The people that you send typically are highly um, selected. You'd spend a lot of time making sure that the people that you pick are the right ones. Or at least, let's think about this, you should spend a lot of time making sure that the people you send are the right ones. But often that's not the case. I've come across a number of different projects during my career and during my recent consulting times where people have just been sent because they happened to be standing there for whatever reason. So in the article and during this podcast, we're going to talk about probably 10 different things that will affect how you select the people and the kinds of people that you send and the way that you need to treat them when they're with. So the first one, and it may seem pretty obvious, is any expat people that you deploy need to be conversant with the company. They need to know your business. They need to know, well, they at least need to know how your business works. And they need to be committed to the work that they're going to be deployed for. So ideally, you want to take people who've been working on the project within your organisation in whichever office they're based in, So they're familiar with the project, they're familiar with the people, they know what the requirements and expectations are of the project, they know how the company works. Ideally, they've got a reasonably strong support structure within the organisation that they can lean on should they need that support as time goes by. And and they are a known entity. So you as as a manager, you as the person selecting these people, know them well enough 
to place some faith and some confidence in them when you send them away so that when they get there they'll do the right thing. Now some expats you'll find will move around, they'll be sort of a hired gun type expats, they'll be specialists in doing particular roles in particular projects and again those people can be a very good choice. You tend not to want to fill your entire project with people like that because then you lose your company and your corporate identity. But if it's a, if it's a specific need and you can't find someone from within your organisation to go, then someone who is a, a highly regarded, let's call them an internationally experienced expat, could very well be a smart and wise choice for you to put in there as well. But by and large, you want to try and fill as many of these roles as you possibly can from internal candidates. Some people will look to it as a natural reward for, for, for their commitment to the project as the project has gone along. Other people will just see it as part of what they have to do and they'll, they'll take it on and they'll be happy to do it. The risk that you have if you take people from outside of your organisation is that simply you don't know them and they don't know you. They may be brilliant, they may be great people, they may be just the right people for the role, but you don't know that until you until they've really until they've done the role for you. Whereas if you put someone in there who's already working for you, who you already know, you you know their strengths, you know their weaknesses, and you know what you can expect from them. You may not always get what you expect, but often you'll get a pleasant a more pleasant surprise from the performance of people than you will get a disappointment. That can tend to work the opposite way around if they're hired in specifically for a particular role on a project. So that's the first one. Second one, try and send or at least make sure that some portion of your team has previous experience in working as an expat. Now why this is important is that the expat lifestyle can be quite challenging for many people. Coming to terms with being away from home for periods, extended periods, coming to terms with working in a, in a totally different environment, in a different culture, with different people, um, under different circumstances, is quite challenging. If you put an entire team of newbies onto your project, then they're all going to have to learn together and they won't have any mentors and coaches to, to help them along the way. And sometimes those coaches can just be things like helping people to understand that it will take them a while to settle into their new environment when they arrive. Um, so ideally you need some people who are experienced expats. Now, they don't always have to be people who have been to the particular location that the project is being performed in. Sometimes you may not even be able to find people who've worked in these locations. They, they may simply not exist in your business. Or if you're working in a really unique environment, there may be people who just don't exist anywhere who've done that kind of work in that kind of an environment. But if you've got people who have worked in an expat situation previously, they will be very, very useful and very valuable within your team. So the third one then is to set very clear expectations of behaviour and living conditions and so forth for your people before they set off. Often organisations will rush to send people away and not really think through some of the challenges that they may that may come along. So for instance, if you're sending people to 
fully furnished accommodation, what will you do if someone comes along and says, well, I need another chair, I need another bed, my TV's broken, I need the TV fixing, whatever. You need to think through how much money you're prepared to put on the line for things like that. What do you do as far as covering medical costs? Uh, do you repatriate people if they need something like expensive dentistry? Or do you carry the bills in the country that you've sent them to? So there's all sorts of things that you need to think through and clarify and make sure everybody is clear, both in terms of what's agreed and not agreed, and also in terms of what the process is to get agreements reached on things which are not covered explicitly in the pre-existing agreement that they may have. You'll never pick everything, so you need to say, okay, these are the things that you definitely are entitled to, these are the things that you're definitely not entitled to, and these are the and then anything outside of that you can make quite clear that anything outside of that has to be addressed on a case by case. And it may be case by case, person by person, or it may be case by case for the expat community within your project. Depends on what the situation is. So the fourth one would be to encourage and support your expat people merging and spending time and integrating into the local community and culture as much as possible. Um, it's very easy for people living in a small expat community to become very, uh, very introverted and to end up living in a little closed society. Now, in some instances, obviously, security and safety re requires such a thing. If you're going into a, into a hostile or a dangerous environment, you will maybe want to live in a protected situation so that your people and your expats are safe. But in many places, that's not the case. In many cases, you, your expats will be living in, in accommodation next door to, to locals or next door to expats from other organisations and other businesses. They won't be in a fenced community. They won't have armed guards escorting them where they go because they're perfectly safe. So you need, it's very good to try and encourage your expats in those sorts of situations to try and integrate as much as they can into the local community. Some projects and some businesses will do this through trying to initiate charitable works from their expat community. Some will be sporting things, so they may put a, a sporting team together to play against the locals or against other expat teams. Some will simply just embrace the lifestyle and get out there and try and experience the food and, uh, and the culture and so forth. But many people won't. And those who don't, probably my experience would be and my observations would be that those who don't will probably find it harder to um, to live a long-term expat lifestyle like that simply because after a while they start to feel very excluded from everything and it just becomes very hard on them they want to go home they crave that normality of going back home so that's something else to keep in mind so the fifth point then would be to try and choose your expats for their personality and aptitude before you really look at their technical expertise. Now, if they're people that you already know, look to make and try and find people who are good team players, who are relatively relaxed about um, some of the challenges that they're going to be facing. You send a whole group of technical experts, and sometimes you need to send real hardcore technical experts. But if everybody you send is a technical expert, you may find that you lack some of the personal um, and interpersonal skills that you need to build a cohesive, self-supporting and strong workforce in your expat community. 
And it needs to be your community. It needs to be seen as such. And the people living and working in it need to form part of that. And often you don't get that if the people that you deploy are pure technical expertise people rather than more broad, more rounded people. So the next point then is, is in all of your planning to plan for and expect some issues with some of your people. Um, in, and then when they do occur, try not to be massively judgmental about what motivates these people to come along with these problems. Things can happen. They can be personal circumstances. You can have family problems. You can have people with medic medical problems. You can have people as well who simply just find after even sometimes a very short period of time on one of these deployments that they start suffering from stress and anxiety simply because the environment just just isn't right for them. They can be people who've done numerous expat deployments before or they can be people who've never been on one before. You, you can't always tell, but you need to be aware that these things will and may happen. You need to have contingency plans in place then for how you're going to reintegrate those people back into your organisation if once this is all resolved. For instance, if you find someone that has just, just cannot cope in that expat environment, their stress is getting to them, they're becoming unwell, they request to be brought back home, you bring them back home, you would need to make sure that you try and integrate them back into your business rather than, let's say, dismissing them. Um, because the message that you send, if, if you were to dismiss people under those circumstances, the message you send to the rest of your workforce, both right now and into the future, is that you're not prepared to tolerate anything like that and people who step out of line will be uh, dismissed. That does not engender a good trusting environment in your workforce and people will then start to work for you out of fear rather than out of um, out of commitment and you'll find that after a while people simply will refuse to make these trips, refuse to give up and make the sacrifices to go. Next one, logistical support. You need to provide reasonable levels of logistical support to your people while they're away. In many instances um, you'll be sending people to a country to a place where the language, their, their native language is not the language which is spoken. So logistical support can even form things like interpreters, language lessons, the provision of phrase books, um, simple sort of language lessons so that people are able to communicate with one another. So people need to be able to have that linguistic support so that they're able to, well, so they're able to do their jobs and so they're able to convey their requirements and the project's requirements to everybody else. So the next point then is to provide flexible travel and vacation schedules. Now, typically organisations will have travel arrangements in place on a project that will say, okay, after X number of weeks in country, you get to go back home for Y number of weeks. Um, that might be an even roster, so you might be, say, four weeks there, four weeks home. It might be that you're there for six months and you're home for four weeks or whatever those roster times are. Now, some expats will try and will want, and there's no reason, my opinion at least, is there's no reason not to seriously consider granting these things. They may want to return home on a slightly unusual calendar. They may have personal situations. They may have something like a family event that they need to be back home for, and that may not fall cleanly on that time frame. 
Similarly, they may want to take their trip in another country rather than traveling back to their point of origin. They may even want to spend their time in country. So try and accommodate as much of this as is reasonable, obviously staying within the bounds of the budgets of the project and the bounds of whatever is stated within the project and without compromising the delivery of the project. But if you can say, if people want to go home for a, for a family wedding, say, and it happens to occur one week or one month before their normal roster and their absence from the project is not going to cause any problems and they'll come back and they'll stay and so forth, then really there are very few reasons not to grant that. But if, equally, if someone wanted to do something like that and it was going to put your project's schedule in jeopardy, then common sense would say that that should be something, firstly, they shouldn't be raising, but if they do, that you would need to be um, considering blocking or at least not approving. So the next point then is that the most senior representative on your project in this expat community should be a highly experienced expat themselves. They really should be someone who's well known within your company and within your business and someone who's been in that kind of an environment a number of times. Reasons for this are that that person, if they're known within the business, the business will know how they'll perform and what their likely expectations and, and requirements will be. But equally, if they've been there themselves a number of times, and by being there, I mean being in that situation, not necessarily in that place, they can make sure that the people who are not as experienced get the support that they need. And you can be pretty confident that the choices and decisions and suggestions and requests that they make are sensible, balanced and well considered. I have seen situations where very uh, inexperienced expats will put in senior roles on projects. And typically, they, because they have to go through the same acclimatisation process as the junior people within the job, they tend to find that it's tended to find that these people are not as effective for a period of time while they themselves are settling in. So finding people who've got that deep experience as an expat is very beneficial to, to, to basically just building a good solid team from the start. And then finally, and the last item here is to expect some failures in your choices. You won't get everybody right. Somebody will disappoint for want of a better expression they'll turn out to be not what you expected when you when you picked them to go they could be long-term expat experience long-term company employees but for whatever reason their personal circumstances or the circumstances in the country in the location to which they're deployed just just don't work for them and they need to be relieved from their posting and brought back to to the head office as I said earlier, this should happen in, in a painless way. These people shouldn't be penalised or, or punished for not being able to settle and not being able to perform. In many ways, the organisation should even consider recognising these people and rewarding them because, because they have put their hand up and said, look, it's just not for me, you need to send someone else, rather than battling through themselves and, and potentially putting the project at risk if they themselves were to go through a particular decline at some point during the job. So it's been quite a long podcast this week. Um, hopefully there's been something very useful in there for uh, for all of you. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope there, uh, that there has indeed been something helpful. If you have enjoyed it and if you'd want to hear more then please do check us out 
We're at www.ulfire.com.au And of course, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast feed. There's a page on the website with um, links to all the different feed sources that you can that you can follow. And if you do like it, then please do feel free to leave a, uh, some feedback on the iTunes website because that helps us get recognised and helps us get, uh, get more listeners. So thank you very much and I look forward to speaking to you in the next episodes. Mm-hmm.